My name's Beth and I'm reading from James chapter 2 verses 1 to 13 tonight. God's word says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Hey guys, my name is John, one of the pastors here at Wollongong Baptist Church. I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask them a real simple question. What's your favorite type of takeaway food? What's your favorite type of takeaway food? Alrighty, okay. So you can finish those conversations after dinner. I'm sure they're riveting. Um, uh, as Tim has already mentioned, we're studying the book of James, and after each sermon, we're going to have a question and answer time. If you have any questions, please text them into a phone number. It will come up on the screen, and I'll do my best to answer them afterwards. Uh, and so, like I said, and like Tim's already uh, mentioned as well, that the name of this series is Authentic Faith. Uh, I, I love this book of James. It's, it's a great book. It's practical, but it's also really confronting. And the reason why it's confronting is because it keeps on asking those of us who claim to be Christians, hey, look, do you have authentic faith? Week one, we looked at James chapter one, and uh, his big idea, quite simply in regards to trials, was this, uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. That was week one. Week two, last week, James talked about the relationship between faith and deception. His big idea was verse 16, don't be deceived. He said, don't be deceived. God is a loving God and you are his children whom he loves. But he also said, don't be deceived. If you claim to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, then you're not just a hearer of God's word, but you're also a doer. You're a doer. Tonight, we're going to look at James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and we're going to look at the relationship between authentic faith and favoritism. Authentic faith and favoritism. 
And so my hope is, is that we've learned the lesson from last week and that our hope as we come to this text tonight is that we leave here as not just hearers of God's word, but doers. And so with that in mind, I'm going to pray for us. And so if you'd like to pray with me, that'd be great. And please say amen at the end, which just means I agree. So how about we pray? Father God, as we come before you right now and we open up your word, Lord, I pray that you may humble, humble us. Lord, that you may remind us that we sit underneath your authority and that you are the God of the universe. And so you speak to us, you reveal yourself to us through your word. And we're so thankful for that gift. And so Lord, tonight, please change us. Please rebuke us if we need to be rebuked. And for those of us, Lord, who don't necessarily have a, a full picture of how glorious your son Jesus is, Lord, I pray that you may fulfill that picture, that we may grow to understand who he is and to live like him with authentic faith in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a, guy, a photo's going to come up, a guy on the screen. Uh, anyone know who that is? Louder? There we go. Thank you. That's, uh, I can't say his first name. Let's just say Gandhi for short. Um, he's a pretty influential man, quite a, a famous man. Most of you probably recognize him or at least recognize his name. Uh, he's uh, someone that was born in the early 1900s in India. Uh, he grew up, studied law, ended up going to South Africa where he made quite an impact uh, there uh, through his peaceful uh, social right movements. Uh, but most importantly, he made a huge impact in India where he was born. He was quite influential in India, um, achieving their in independence from England. Gandhi has, uh, quite, is quite a famous figure, and as obviously his teaching is still quite known today. If you just go to Google and type in Gandhi quotes, you get a few good ones. Uh, and one of them is one that he says about Christians. It's quite a famous quote. Let me read it out to you, and it's quite a confronting one. Gandhi says this. He says, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. I repeat that. He said this. He said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Uh, in his autobiography, he explains the story behind this quote. You see, Gandhi grew up in India, underneath the, the Hindu religion, so to speak. And within, that, within India, they had the caste system, which is similar to classes, you know, like rich, medium, poor, but even worse than that. And there's a whole lot of discrimination between which caste system that you belong to. And so Gandhi hated this. And like, he really was frustrated by this system. And so one time he was reading the Bible and he was reading about Jesus. And he's like, man, I like this Jesus guy. Maybe he is the answer to this problem in our world. And so he thought, you know, I'm going to go along to church. I'm going to see what these Christians are like who follow Jesus. And so one Sunday he went along to church and he walked into church and there was an usher there. Instead of the usher being like, hey, welcome to church, we're glad you're here, here's a bulletin, you know, like, come on in, um, you know, you're going to learn about God. Instead, the usher said to him, can you please go away and worship with your own people? Brutal. When, like, I don't know about you, but when I think of that story, I think of times when I've been in Gandhi's shoes and when people have, um, I guess, been made judgments about me that are not fair and not correct and therefore I felt on the outside. I wonder if you can relate to times like that. Like I'm a white Australian, so like truth be told, like I haven't really experienced racism if at all, but I know some of you here have. And it's devastating to think that people would judge you based on how you look and therefore discriminate against you. I'm, I'm guessing you can relate to Gandhi and being in his shoes. And I can too, but I was also wondering like what it would be like to be in the usher's shoes. And I was thinking, unfortunately, 
my guess is, is that I've probably done the exact same thing. I've been in the usher's shoes, and maybe I haven't been as blunt as that person, but subtly, if through my actions, I've basically said to people like Gandhi or people that I don't really like necessarily, hey, can you just not be here? Can you go somewhere else? What about you? What about you? Have you ever showed favoritism towards someone and therefore, as a result, shown discrimination towards someone else? I think if we are honest, all of us have done this, which is why I think it's critical that we learn from the book of James tonight. You see, James's audience also was going through similar issues. If you look at James chapter 2, if you have your physical Bible there, you'll see that he spends 13 verses talking about this issue of favoritism. And it's a big issue for his people back then, 2,000 years ago, and it's a big issue for us as well. And the big idea that James has for us tonight is quite a simple one. It's chapter 2, verse 1. This is his big idea. This is my big idea. And it's this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Must not show favoritism. You see, tonight we're going to look at the relationship between faith and favoritism. Now, maybe you're thinking, Joel, does that mean that I can't have a favorite takeaway dish? Do I can't have a favorite song on Spotify or, you know, like, I can't have favorites at all? No, I'll unpack that for you in a second. You see, what we're going to do is we're going to look at James chapter 2. And in verses 1 to 4, James is going to explain to us what is favoritism that he's saying that we shouldn't show. And then in verses 5 to 12, he's going to explain what is wrong with this type of favoritism. What is wrong with this type of favoritism? So, Let's dig into it. Let's have a look at verse 1. So if you have your Bibles there, keep them open. It'll come up on the screen. Let me read this to us. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Let's just stop there. The Greek word behind the English word favoritism, for those of you who don't know, uh, the New Testament Bible was written in Koine Greek. Uh, It can be translated literally to receive face. Now let me translate that for you. Uh, Favoritism is a good word, but maybe another word could be partiality. So what what he's saying here is don't make judgments of people based on external appearances. What he's saying here is don't withhold like joy, don't withhold friendship, don't withhold love, or don't give love or service or mercy to people based upon external appearances. You can substitute that word favoritism for partiality if you want. If you're still unsure what this looks like, well, James gives us an example. And so let's read this out, verses 2 to 4. James says this. He says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You can stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Uh, a few years ago, I went to go see The Lion King uh, at Capitol Theatre uh, in Sydney. Uh, and you know, before you go see like an um, event, be it like a musical event, like a concert or like a sporting event, you always book tickets online. And so when you go to book tickets, you can see there's like uh, ticket, uh, sorry, seats that are closer towards you, uh, closer towards the uh, performance. Like that will cost you a lot of money. Tickets that are further away, that, you know, that won't cost you too much. And you know, tickets in the middle, you know, you're paying the average. 
And so a few years ago, uh, I took my wife Emma, I think for our anniversary or something, and so I bought a tickets that were roughly in the middle, so like they didn't make me bra- broke, but you know, they didn't annoy my wife, you know, so did what I could. Now, I think when it comes to concerts and these sort of things, we go, yeah, that's a pretty good system, like that's okay. But I want you to imagine if it had this system for church. Like I want you to imagine before you came here tonight, you had to log on to a website, ticketet.com, and you know, you had to buy your tickets. You know, if you wanted to sit down the front where Tim and um, Annie is, that's going to cost you $200. You know, if you want to sit up the back, that's going to cost you maybe $100. If you want to sit on the wings, that's going to cost you like $50. If you want to take communion, that's okay. Just tick a box. That'll cost you $25. You know, someone's going to pay for the bread and juice. You know, you want someone to pray for you? Sure, no worries. $50. You want, you want a pastor to talk to you? They'd love to talk to you. But if you want to talk to Rod, the senior pastor, that's $200, right? He's got plenty of experience, okay? You want to talk to Mark and myself? That's like $20. No worries, right? <laughs> Easy. Uh, can you imagine if church was like that? You know, like none of us would come here to church. You'd be like, no way. Like, that's terrifying. That, like, that would be a terrible church. And yet something similar was going on in James's day. You see, he's using a hypothetical here, but I reckon it's probably a hypothetical that was quite real in the people of James's day. You see, what, what he said here is that two men enter the church, right? They don't know where to sit, so they're probably visitors. One is really rich, wearing gold ring, really rare to wear gold, and fine clothes, right? If you have clothes that are made by someone else, you're rich. Back then, if you make your own clothes, right? Then there's a poor man over here, shabby clothes, no gold ring. And what occurs? Well, the Christians, they see that the rich guy... You know, they see the rich guy and he's got nice jeans on, you know, he's got an Apple watch. Like, oh man, he looks loaded, right? You know, like we're behind on budget, you know, like let's let's look after this guy. Let's see how he's going. You know, let's like give him a massage, you know, let's ask him if he wants a cup of tea. Whereas the poor guy, they're like, hey, can you just, can you just go over here? Like, can you just, can you just sit by my feet so that rich guy doesn't see you? It's terrible. And yet, can I defend the early church for a second? This was, outside of church, this was normative in their culture. You see, 95% of people back then were rich, and five, sorry, 5% of people back then were rich, and 95% of people were poor. There's no real middle class. And so what was normative in their culture is if you came across a rich person, it's that you'd look after them. Maybe you'd get a big tip from them. You'd get some advice from them. You'd get a favor from them. That was what was normative in their culture. Now, they shouldn't have been doing this at church, But nevertheless, that was what was normative in their culture. Which begs the question, what is normative in our culture outside of church that influences how we treat people inside of church? You see, what I want you to get here is that when he he gives this example of the rich and the poor, but the big topic he's talking about is favoritism and discrimination. He's not talking about the rich and poor necessarily. That's an example And so zoom out of the rich and the poor and think for ourselves here at WBC, where do we do this? Maybe it could be we treat people different because of maybe, for example, uh, the color of their skin. I I don't want to, like, I'm an Australian and I'm white. And so, like I said, I haven't experienced much racism, but I know what occurs. And I know you do too. Maybe not the color of their skin, maybe the color of someone's clothes. Maybe you see someone that walks in in some loaves clothes and you're just like, well, I'm not talking to that person. Or maybe you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? You see a guy in skinny jeans. I bought a pair of skinny jeans tonight. So maybe you look at me right now and come on, I'm not listening to him. Look at what he's wearing. Maybe it could be someone's age. That person, they're, they're too old. I can't talk to them. I can't relate to their stage of life. 
or maybe, oh, they're too young. I can't relate to that teenager or to that 30-year-old that just don't have as many runs on the board and know what life is like. Or what about, oh, I'm a worker and that's a uni student. I can't talk to that person. He doesn't really know what my life is like, what the real world is, real world is like. Or maybe it could be someone who doesn't have an able body and same sort of thing. I'm not going to talk to that person. On and on I could go. Where do we fall short in this regard? Because James says to us, if we are followers of Jesus, we will not show favoritism. We will not show favoritism. You see, James takes this seriously. And as a result, he gives us that command, which is what I, I love. He's so upfront and direct. But then he also gives us three reasons as to why we shouldn't show favoritism. Three reasons as to why we shouldn't show favoritism. And the first one is this. will come up on the screen. Is that because God doesn't show favoritism. Because God doesn't show favoritism. I want you to look at verse 5 with me. I'll read it out to you. It should be up on the screen. James says this. He says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Uh, let's stop there. Um, some of you may know this, but I play basketball, and uh, I played basketball for a long time. And so when I was in primary school, I was pretty good at basketball, I'm not going to lie. And so whenever there's like a schoolyard pick and like two captains would pick out who's going to be on their team, I was always a captain. I'm like, I've got this, one of the best players. I get to judge who's on my team, right? I get to judge who's got the quality of skills to be able to be on my team. When I got to high school, things were different. Uh, for some reason, no one liked basketball. Everyone liked rugby league. I didn't get it. Uh, and if you don't know this about me, I'm not good at rugby league. I'm terrible at rugby league. But there was this one guy, a friend of mine called Eddie Famolaro, and he was just a dude that hit puberty when he was like 10. Um, like he was just like just a beast of a teenager, right? Like he's 13, but he looks like a grown man. Uh, and like he was just fast, strong, quick. Like he just would just smash people, right? He was like the Jonah Lomu. Like he'd just walk past people and score tries. And one day he picked me on his team because he thought it'd be funny. And says so like, let's get Joel, the lanky guy. He's awful. He can be on my team. And then in, during that um, recess, Eddie did his normal thing and went to go score a try, push people over. But he didn't put the ball down at the try line. But instead he said, hey, Joel, come here, come here. And he gave me the ball so I I could score a try. It was glorious, right? <laughs> glorious. Now, can I, can I be straight with you? The next day, right, at like recess or lunch, what I didn't do is when, you know, it's time for captains to step up, is I didn't walk up and be like, guys, I'm going to be the captain today. I scored a try yesterday. It's more than some of you guys here. You know, clearly I'm awesome. Let me judge you as to who should be on my team. And you know what's interesting, though? As Christians, we can do this. You know, the, the Bible's quite clear. It says it here that God chooses people. It's called a topic of predestination. I don't have time to unpack that right now. But what it does teach us is that God chooses, and God chooses people who are not awesome, but actually people who are pretty awful. People who are not that great. Like, did you notice here how he said? He said, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? The Apostle Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians. Hopefully it should come up on the screen. He says this in 1 Corinthians 1.26. No, it's not on the screen. Okay. <laughs> he says this. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were no of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The great thing about the Bible is it keeps humbling you. It's trying to say, look, you're not awesome. God didn't pick you or choose you because you're awesome. And in fact, it's just his grace. His grace. 
See, the Bible teaches us that actually God is a God who doesn't show favoritism. He's not a God who shows partiality. Matter of fact, it's really clear to us in other verses. Let me give you a few. In Colossians 3.25, it says this, Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. In Ephesians 6, verse 9, it says there is no favoritism within him. That's God. And this is my favorite verse. This is pretty clear. Romans 2.11, God does not show favoritism. Let's not show favoritism. And so, look, can I say this? If you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, if you're on God's team, can I just remind you that you're not on God's team because you're awesome. Matter of fact, you're on God's team because you're awful and he showed you mercy. And so, therefore, when you try and set these standards that people need to meet for you to welcome them and love them and show mercy to them, what you're showing is that you don't understand the gospel. And what you're doing is behaving in an anti-gospel way. God does not show favoritism. That's reason number one. Now, side topic here in verses 6 to 7, um, James talks about the rich and the poor, and he says specifically to these people here 2,000 years ago, look, why are you showing favoritism to the rich? They're the ones that also are persecuting you, right? Um, I don't necessarily, I don't want to unpack lots of this, but in particular, some of you might be thinking, man, James really doesn't like rich people. And so maybe if like you're driving a BMW here tonight, you're like hiding your keys, and you're like, man, I really don't want people to know what I'm driving. Like, clearly the Bible doesn't like rich people. What I want to make clear to you is that James doesn't want you to take the favoritism off the rich and put it on the poor, okay? You see, the Bible doesn't teach prosperity theology or poverty theology. Prosperity theology is if you're rich, you must be righteous and you've been blessed by God. And if you're poor, you must be wicked and sinful. Whereas poverty theology teaches that if you're rich, you must be wicked, and if you're poor, you must be righteous. It's not what the Bible teaches, Righteousness is found in Christ, and all of us are wicked. I hate to break that to you, okay? And so that's really important that you don't look at this passage and go, oh, he doesn't like rich people. No, he just doesn't like favoritism. Reason number one why we shouldn't show favoritism is because God does not show favoritism. So we've got reason number two, which is that God is against favoritism. That God is against favoritism. Let me read to us verses 8 to 9. James says this, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. I wonder if you notice here the parallelism that's going on. He's saying, look, if you keep the law, you are doing right. But if you don't keep the law, you sin. If you're wondering, Joel, what's sin? Maybe you've heard that word, but don't know how to explain it or define it. Very very shortly, uh, sin is rebellion against God. Sin is rebellion against God. It's when you don't do what you should do, and it's when you do what you shouldn't do. Sin is both omission and commission. It's just not just your actions, it's your words, it's your thoughts, it's your motives. It's more than just what you think. And you're thinking, well, how do we know what sin is? Well, we know what sin is because God teaches us in the Scriptures what are His commands. And so He teaches us, you probably know this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, what I find really interesting here is for this motivation, James doesn't just say, look, don't show favoritism because it's a sin. All right, that's it. Moving on, next point. But no, instead, he actually fleshes this out a bit more. And I think the reason why he does this is because I don't think his original audience, or you and me for that fact, actually feel the weight of this sin and actually realize the weight of sin in general. Let me show you to you what I mean. Look at verse 9, 11 with me. James says this, But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. 
If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Uh, a few months ago, uh, my uncle said to me, hey, Joel, I've got a bike for you. It's a free bike. Would you like it? And I was like, yeah, sure. No worries. Uh, I was picturing a black Harley, like I was going to look good. Uh, instead, I received this beast. Uh, so that's a purple Yamaha Zuma 49cc. Um, pretty impressive. Um, I like this bike. It's actually more fun than what it looks like. I'm not ashamed of it. And uh, uh, recently, I've been driving it. And every now and then, I have a few, uh, not incidents or crashes, but I don't know, just... Uh, unintentional wheelies or different things, uh, and um, which is quite embarrassing. And so I've got a few scratches on it, but you know that's okay. Like she still looks pretty good in my opinion, right? Like she still does a job. Uh, but unfortunately, recently the throttle on it uh, started to break down a little bit, uh, and so I took it to my friend Michael. Uh, he's a member of our church here at 6 p.m. He knows his bikes, uh, and so we took apart the, uh, the car- uh, car- a carburetor. I don't even know. Anyway, we took apart part a part of the bike uh, and we cleaned it out. Right, had some gunk on it, so we cleaned it all out, made it nice and new, put it back together, and now she works brand new. Right, she works really good. Um, I think sometimes we can think that in God's eyes, you and I are like this motorbike. Like at the end of the day, when it comes to sin, like a few little sins, like scratches on the side, that's no big deal. You know, we're still functioning, still trying our best. And and maybe if it's a big sin in our life, like maybe if you do do something bad, like, I don't know, like murder or adultery or steal, then it's just like, you know, replacing the motor, right? Like we can fix ourselves. You know, what we're going to do is order a new part off eBay or, you know, get a new part in and you can just pull it together, fix it up, all is well. We can fix ourselves up. You know, we're quite tough. We're quite resilient. We're not perfect, right? Like, that's not a perfect bike, but it's functioning. It's pretty good. And so in God's eyes, we're pretty, you know, pretty good people. We're just going to clean ourselves up, have a wash every now and then. And yet what James says here is actually we're not as resilient as what we think. And in God's eyes, we are not like purple scooters, but instead we're more like mirrors. More like mirrors. Have you, I wonder, have you ever broken a mirror or a piece of glass? Have you ever seen it like that one crack that goes whoosh? You know, the whole thing smashes. I guess it depends if it's what type of glass it is. But even it's one that just cracks a little bit. Have you ever tried to fix that? No. You know it's broken. You know, there's no point trying to get the super glue together. Like you still see that crack and it will continue to break and, and shatter. You see, it doesn't matter if it was one tiny little blow, one tiny little sin that you do wrong. When you do one sin, you are, you're, you're broken. You're guilty before God. You see, I think James is saying this to us here when he's comparing and talking about adultery and murder and saying, look, if you break one sin, like you've, you become a lawbreaker. I think he's trying to say this to his original audience as well as us because we just don't think this sin is that serious. Like we just think, oh, favoritism. I mean, it's not that bad, is it? Like everyone does it. You know, no one really gets hurt by it. And so we try and justify or suppress this sin and think, oh, God doesn't really care about it. And I think we can do this with sin in general, outside of the topic of favoritism and going on to other things. Like, I, I say this about yourself because I know my own wicked heart has had similar thoughts. Is, you know, we can do things like, oh, I'm just going to download a few TV shows or movies. And it's like, it's stealing, but it's not like stealing a car, right? So, like, it's not that bad. Or maybe we think, you know what, I'll, I'll just, me and my girlfriend will just go a bit further than what we should because, you know, at the end of the day, we love each other and think about getting married and, like, it could be worse, right? Like, we could be sleeping with multiple people. Or, or maybe it's like, I've cheated my tax just a little bit because, you know, like, it's only a tiny bit and everyone does it. And hey, look, it's not as bad as a taxation office and what they've gone through. So clearly it's okay. And James says no. James says repent. James says that sin is sin. We should take this seriously. 
I should take this seriously. And so specifically when it comes to favoritism, um, can I ask a few questions which may be painful? Um, and I, I want to make this clear, by the way, actually. If you're not a Christian here tonight, we're glad you're here. And if, if you want to not show favoritism, that's great. Uh, but you have to figure out your own motivation as to why. Uh, I'm trying to plead my case to Christians here. God is, doesn't do it. God is against it. And so can I plead with your heart a few questions? Here are some of them. When you come to church, do you talk to the same people? Do you sit next to the same people? Do you eat dinner with the same people? I'm not, I'm not trying to say don't have friendships. That's not what I'm trying to say. But do you specifically go, oh, I really like that person. I'm going to go chat to that person. Oh, that person looks a bit awkward. Don't know their name. Haven't learned their name. Forgotten their name. Don't want to go chat to that person. Like, can I ask you to, to think through your heart? Are there certain people in particular maybe that you are favorite towards? And my guess is there's going to be people like you, to be honest. And there's certain people that you don't necessarily want to go talk to. And can I plead with you and myself to repent of that and to change? Reason number two, God is against favoritism. God is against favoritism. Reason number three, God is going to judge favoritism. God is going to judge favoritism. Let me read to you verse 12 to 13. James says this, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy would be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Third reason, God is going to judge favoritism. God is going to judge favoritism. Um, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me because I'm super competitive, uh, but I always perform better when I'm knowing I'm being judged, right? So like if I'm going for a job interview, I'm like, all right, I'm on my game. Or like, I don't know, if I'm behind some sort of, some panel evaluating what I'm doing or even like giving sermon feedback, I'm like, all right, I'm on my game. Like if there's judges, I'm, I'm performing, right? It motivates me. And so James gives us this motivation. Hey, look, judgment is coming. Let that be a motivation to how you live. But then also he says to us, hey, look, know this. The way you judge others will be the way that God judges you. The way you judge others will be the way that God judges you. You see, James, this is the brother of Jesus. He's just plagiarizing his brother here. As Jesus said his famous words, he said, uh, the way you judge others will be the way God judges you. James says here, uh, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. And so, look, can I ask you a simple question? When Jesus returns and when judgment day comes, how do you want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? When God goes through the Ten Commandments, for example, he's like, all right, Joel, did you honor your mother and father? And about you, I'm going to want mercy. I'm not going to want judgment on my works. When God says, all right, Joel, did you lie? I'm going to judge you off your works, or do you want mercy? I'm going to, I'm going to want mercy. All right, Joel, did you covet after someone else's stuff? You know, we've got time here. We can go through the tapes. Have you done this? I'm going to say, I want mercy. And they say, well, how can you possibly have mercy? What's your basis for this mercy? And if we have authentic faith, well, that's when we can go, Jesus. Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We believe in God, the God-man who came down to earth and was discriminated against by his own people, by his own family, and ended up being crucified on the cross for just being who he was, the Son of God. But he did that so my judgment may be taken, so I may inherit his perfection, his righteousness. So I've been shown mercy, and now I've tried to live a life of mercy because I understand that. That is why I want mercy, because I've been trying to give mercy to other people because I know that mercy has been shown to me. See, this is why James says this. It's not a work salvation thing. It's just 
he understands that people who understand grace see the world differently. People who understand mercy and know that God showed mercy to them will show mercy to other people. Look, in regards to this series um, and the big idea of do you have authentic faith, I feel like I'm like trying to walk a tightrope, to be honest. And what I mean by that is that some of you here who are, are, are baby Christians, right, you're still trying to figure out what is your faith in Jesus. You're still trying to figure this out. And so you're a bit like, I don't know if I have authentic faith. Like, this is pretty hardcore. And, and for those of you here, look, I, want to challenge, I don't want to challenge you, so I want to comfort you. Like, like I want to say to you, yes, you, you have faith in Jesus Christ. Keep it up. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. It's not about perfection. You're not going to reach that. Jesus did. It's about progress. And so if your heart right now is thinking, all right, I don't want to show favoritism. I don't want to show discrimination. That's a good thing. The Spirit's working through you. That's a good thing. You've got authentic faith. But some of you here, if, if actually you're hard-hearted, and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but your life does not match it up. And right now you're like, eh, I just don't really think I want to make a difference in my life on this. I don't think, I think it's okay for to be a little bit racist, a little bit ageist, a little bit sexist, and make some jokes about that. I might, I might be convicted from tonight, but tomorrow morning I'm not going to really make a difference. I want you to feel the full weight of this book. And I want you just to be having this question over and over and over and over. Do you have authentic faith or have you been deceived? Because those who do are not just hearers of God's word, but they're doers. They're doers. And because truth be told, favoritism has got a horrible effects. Um, as most of you know, if you don't, that's okay. Uh, I have two boys. They're here tonight. Elijah, who is uh, five, he's the bigger one, and Isaac, who's uh, two and a half. Uh, and a few months ago, uh, I was actually reading this passage, and it made me think about favoritism. And it made me think through, for some reason, to ask my oldest son, Elijah, uh, a question. And the question I asked him uh, is a simple one, which I never asked him before, but also a weird one. I said to Elijah, I said, hey, Eli, who do you think is dad's favorite boy? Between you and Isaac, who do you think is my favorite? Um, and Eli said to me, and it still like really affects me, he said to me, Isaac, my youngest. And um, man, that broke me. Like I, I, like, I love my boys. Uh, and I don't want them to see one being the favorite child and one not being the favorite child. I want them to know they're my boys, and I love them both the same. Like, that really pains me even to say this story to you. And it made me realize that actually I wasn't spending as much time with Eli as I was with Isaac. And and look, I feel like most of us here got siblings, and you can relate to this. You would hate the fact if your parent was to say to you, yeah, I don't like you, that one's my favorite. Like, you know that favoritism causes horrible problems in families. And can I make this clear to you? It creates horrible issues in churches. Take this seriously. God doesn't show favoritism and neither should we. And so look, we talked about what is favoritism. You know, like I said, you have your favorite Indian dish, whatever it is, but in terms of treating people differently on how they look. We talked about why. Because God doesn't show favoritism because God is against it and because God will judge it. But maybe thinking, Joel, look, uh, there's a proclivity in my human heart to do this. Like, I don't want to, but I do. How do I not? Very briefly, I want to read to you verse 1 again, because it's a big idea, and I want this to be tattooed into your brain. James says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Did Did you pick up on this? Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus only mentioned twice in this letter, in verse 1 of chapter 1 and here in verse 1 of chapter 2. 
And it's really interesting, he says, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what James knew is that if you understood the, glorious, the glory of Jesus, if you understand how impressive Jesus is and how he is your God, your Redeemer, your Creator, your Sustainer, if you understand who Jesus is, if you keep your eyes focused on him, if you find your worth, your honor, your value in him, and if you worship him and not people, then you won't be tempted to show favoritism. Let me give you an analogy to help you figure this out, right? I want you to pretend right now that the person sitting next to you is not the boring person that is, but instead is some celebrity, right? Like someone that you really admire, really respect. Like it could be Hugh Jackman, could be Taylor Swift. I don't really know. I don't know you well enough, clearly. But you know me, right? I like basketball. It's playoff times. I like LeBron James. And so if I was sitting right there... And I was in church, and if LeBron James was next to me, I would be going crazy, right? I wouldn't care about any of you. I would just be thinking, this is LeBron. How do I get him to have dinner with me? How do I get him to like, train my kids up in basketball? How can he teach me how to dunk? Not to failed cause, but I would ask him, and I would just be so distracted, right? And I 100% would show favoritism to him and probably discriminate against all of you, right? Because you're not LeBron. But if I was in that seat next to LeBron, and instead of me being up here was Jesus, and if, and if Jesus was teaching, and his glory is being shown to us, and we're looking at the God, the creator, the redeemer of the world, I can tell you right now, I wouldn't care less about LeBron. If our eyes are fixed on Jesus and finding worth and value in him, we won't try and worship other people. We won't be tempted in towards favoritism because we know that Jesus is who our eyes are fixed on. And so that's the how. That's the how. Church, may we not show favoritism because God is against it, because God doesn't do it, God will judge it, but obviously because Jesus didn't do it. How about I pray to close? Father God, we want to thank you so much for your son Jesus and how he perfectly fulfilled the law, specifically how he perfectly loved his neighbor as himself to the point that he went on the cross to die for our sin that's how much he loved us. We thank you so much for him and how we can be saved through him by faith in him alone. We thank you for your grace and mercy that you show to us that we do not receive the judgment that we deserve for our actions, but we will receive grace and mercy on judgment day because of him. Lord, in particular, for those of us here tonight that have faith in you, Lord, help us not just to be hearers of God's word, but to be doers. Lord, I pray that you help us to reflect deeply into our heart. Lord, I pray by your spirit you may convict us as to people that we discriminate against and people that we show favoritism towards. Lord, I pray that you help us to understand how horrible favoritism is and to repent of it, but then also to put our eyes on Jesus and to be blown away by his glory. So we may try not to do this, not because we just feel like it's a bad thing, but because we just know it's a terrible thing and we want to do better and we want to love our Savior. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.